Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Where are we going? Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson keeps. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Welcome to another edition of Pod Like a Raven. Ravens. Winners of 12 in a row. A dozen straight wins in the NFL. Finish the season 14 and 2. Number one seed. Best record in the NFL. Two home games at the bank in order to go to the Super Bowl. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, we have to recap week 17. And to help me recap week 17, I'm joined in. An apartment, once again, by Tim Horsey. Tim, how you feeling? I'm feeling really, really good. Uh, it's something we can get into. I would wager that beating the Steelers and ensuring that they wouldn't be in the playoffs, although it didn't even matter anyway after uh, the Titans won, with our backups, with RG3 at quarterback, is up there for the most satisfying wins this season. Um, so I, I'm feeling fantastic, my friend. Joining us from the West Coast. Jace Evans. Jace, uh, positive spirits over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 14-2, best record in uh, franchise history. Uh, Very large trust in this team, to quote Justin Tucker. Uh, It's been great. It was a very fun game, very probably funnest regular season I can remember. Now it's hard to have a bad time when your team wins 12 straight games. But 
uh, yeah, I'm very nervous for the playoffs, but that uh, it was a very exciting regular season and a really fun regular season. So it's been great. So with the Ravens having a bye, there's no preview for us to get to in the second half of the show. So we're just going to do a little recap of the Steelers game, the Ravens B team versus Steelers A team. We can't emphasize that enough. Uh, we'll go through some NFL stuff uh, and then pick our wins, our winners for the playoff games for the first round, give out some Ravens end-of-year awards, and then when we come back next week, we will preview who the Ravens are up against in the second round of the playoffs. But first, let's talk about this Steelers game. Ravens winners 28-10. to RG3, Anthony Averett, <laughs> Gus Edwards starting. A lot of offensive linemen who we haven't seen a lot of snaps from playing this game. And yet, comfortable win, I would say. In my opinion, when the Ravens started the game with like eight or nine consecutive runs and were gaining positive yardage, I kind of thought the game was, was going to be comfortable. I'm not saying that I knew it was over, that the Ravens are going to win, but eight straight runs, that was the one thing that the Steelers really had to defend against in this game. Couldn't do it on the first drive. Couldn't do it for the entirety of the game, and a big Ravens win. Uh, That's my big positive. What what do you guys like from this game? Yeah, you talk about the opening drive, and I think it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Obviously, there were some mistakes late from the Steelers that really ended this, but Gus Edwards went for a buck 30. They needed, I can't remember the exact number, but it was around 90 yards to break that uh, single-season rushing record, which they did, and they got most of it by the second quarter. Uh, Gus Edwards went for 130 yards on 21 carries, 6.2 yards a carry. And really, I mean, you talk about no Marshall Yonda, no Ronnie Stanley. And that offensive line, and, and it's something that I'm going to hold my hand up right here. I was The, the guy, hand is raised. The it is raised. See it, the hand this, is this is an audio medium, but my left <laughs> hand is raised in the air. It was my biggest concern going into this season, even over the questions around Jackson um, that everybody had in the preseason. I didn't think the offensive line was good enough to, to make this team competitive. And boy, was I wrong. And even with those backups, the Steelers having one of the best defenses in the league, just pushing them all around. I mean, almost every running play, you had four or all, maybe all five offensive linemen at least five yards up the field because they were pushing their guys out of the way. Uh, just very impressive, a very, very an ugly game for sure. But even with that ugliness, sort of a dominating performance, especially from that offensive line. Yeah, I had the exact same. That was my top takeaway from the game was 223 total rushing yards without your two best offensive linemen, your top running back, or your top uh, uh, you, your top rusher in quarterback Lamar Jackson, who was, again, top 10 in the league in rushing yards. Um, without all those guys, uh, they still put over 200 on the ground. And I think that just speaks to Greg Roman and the strength of his kind of offensive scheme and his uh, approach to running the ball um, that they were able to have so, so much success in Tim, like you said, against a pretty good Steelers team, um, at least certainly on the defensive side. So I was thoroughly impressed with that and to do it without Stanley and without Yonda, who I think, you know, no offense to the other guys, I think are head and shoulders above the other, the rest of the line bid they have, but yeah, and uh, in doing so, um, had a 200-200 season, 200 average 200 rushing yards a game, 200 passing yards a game, which is astounding. First team to do that. And uh, like you said, Tim, broke the all-time rushing yards record, which 
uh, has stood for over 40 years. So to do that in what's a passing league, I think that, you know, just speaks to what Greg Roman and the team and especially the offensive line has been able to do all year. We've been talking all year about, you know, if, if we can check off these boxes, then the Ravens are going to probably have a win. The rushing numbers, you get over 200 rushing yards, you're probably winning the game if you're the Ravens. If you win the time of possession battle, you're probably winning the game. I mean, that can be said, you know, for most teams, but when you're a passing offense, you know, air it out offense, that's not necessarily the case for the Ravens. It is 40 minutes uh, on Sunday, verse 20 for the Steelers. So just crush the time of possession. The passing attack, I, we got to talk a little bit about RG3. I guess this was his uh, his first start, I think, in, in yeah, multiple since, uh, seasons. Since 2016, when he was with the Browns. He was... He was fine to bad, I, I would say, <laughs> throwing the ball. I mean, he did some good RPO stuff. He had some nice runs, uh, made the right decisions on the RPO stuff, which is something good to say. In the air, 50% completion percentage, under 100 yards, missed receivers by a lot on short passes. I mean, like slants, drags, those kind of things. He was throwing it behind receivers. Not great if we need him to come into a game. I'm going to knock on this wooden table as loudly as possible, but he's a backup. I, I don't see him. You know, this was an opportunity for him to maybe become a starter somewhere else if he wanted to, to try to have that. I, I would say that went nowhere. Your guys' thoughts on, on RG3 as, as the backup long-term? Are you comfortable with him coming into a game late uh, to save, save a win? I'll tell you what, if he's coming into a game in this postseason, we're doomed. We're doomed. <laughs> Um, positives for RG3, you know, not wearing the knee brace and he looked fast again, which is something that is kind of, you know, was when he was in Washington and had that remarkable rookie year, that was the staple of his game. Just how remarkable of an athlete he was Lamar before Lamar, but not nearly as good as Lamar. And that, that was a positive. It was nice seeing that he was able to do that RPO stuff as, as Antonio commented during our text thread during the game was getting walloped on every single play. Uh, the Steelers made it known that on the RPO, they were going to hit him every time, which was weird because that led to them giving up some big runs yeah. because that was one defender not committed to Gus Edwards or Justice Hill or whoever was taking the ball off of him. But, I mean, if that's your strategy, that's a lot of people implement that with the RPO, hit the quarterback, make sure he doesn't want to run. And for an injured, an oft-injured guy like uh, RG3, I guess that's, was kind of their mentality, but he took it in stride, man. Uh, had a toughness throughout, didn't let it affect him, didn't let it rattle him. You know, no stupid penalties, retaliating with any of that type of uh, type of stuff. Excuse me. And but yeah, on, on on the complete negative side, he can't throw the ball, and <laughs> that is a major issue. Law. I would have. I don't know. The game wasn't was always close enough until the very end, so it wasn't one of those where hey, maybe put McSorley in and see what he can do. That might be a, an option down the road. Uh, long term, in terms of a backup, I'm not necessarily comfortable with him. Although, if you're going to bring a guy in, it needs to be a, a, a Jackson light. It needs to be somebody who can sort of run this very complicated run scheme that, the, that implements the quarterback using his wheels as well. And he, and he did that effectively. But, you know, they're going to be able to stack the box, which, again, and this is... I'm sounding way too positive here. I'm, I'm spinning everything with a positive light, which is not something I usually do, but I guess that's what happens when you're 14-2. and two. Even with his lack of ability to throw the ball, they were still able to run effectively, which I think just is shows even more so how well this running game has performed all year long. 
I'm completely in the same boat. I, it was definitely a Steeler strategy to tee off on him. Specifically, Bud Dupree, it seemed like the most was, and as Antonio, exactly as you mentioned, I think RG3 did make really good reads because there were definitely times when he handed the ball and then just got tackled, and you're like, well, and Gus Edwards got like, you know, 10 yards, and you're like, well, yeah, I guess that was Bud's job, but it didn't work out. So good for him. Yeah, passing, he, like you said, everything was kind of just a, a just behind, and that's you can't have that long term as a QB in the NFL. That's how you know people get hurt, you know, your offense bogs down. It doesn't seem like, and I think too, it just uh, was a good reminder of how good Lamar Jackson was this year and why he's going to win the MVP. Uh, watching a game, a full game of RG3, it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is what it could be like. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about him long term. Again, he's a backup for a reason. Um, but I wouldn't be hate exploring other options. You know, he's got to be pushing 30 if he's not already 30. Um, so I wouldn't hate if they look at other options, but I'm fine with RG3 for now. This, the strategy that we've discussed here a little bit about hitting RG3 after the handoff, if, if we had talked about this ahead of time, I may have tried to steal Jace's what's bothering Jace segment (laughs) to talk about what's bothering me is that the Steelers, uh, I think played a little bit dirty in this game against RG3 and even late in the game when it was obvious that the, like what was happening in the Houston game uh, that the Titans were going to the playoffs. I could have gone for a few minutes uh, ranting a little bit about the frustration of the both Dupree and Watt, who both seem like that was their mission in this game. It's, you know, I think it's very telling that we hadn't seen this all season as a strategy until it happened with the Steelers against RG3. I see Lamar Jackson literally being quick enough to dive out of the way of those guys trying to hit him and making people look bad. It turns the numbers game. They're already at a disadvantage in the numbers game on the RPO. That's why it's effective because the running back is one of the players. And I mean, your quarterback is one of the players involved in the, in the play as opposed to him, you know, completely being removed from a run. And this makes the numbers game even worse when you have a guy just diving away (laughs) from the ball carrier when he knows that he knows where the ball is going basically. So I didn't like it. Uh, I kind of welcome other teams doing it because I think Jackson is going to be sort of savvy enough to get out of the way of it. And then we're going to have 11 on 9 as opposed to 11 on 10. So very strange. Glad Robert Griffin stayed healthy throughout the game, as did every other Raven, which is one of the biggest other uh, positives of this game. But we can pivot to the defense if you guys would like, unless you have one more more comment about the offense. Just real quickly. Because we've talked about this, and we talked about it uh, way back when, I believe it was week five, in the first game with with the Ravens, and we talked about it last week when Jace mentioned that the Browns are almost more frustrating, um, and not more of a rivalry game, but you just hate those games more than you hate the Steelers games now. Gone are your Heinz Ward versus Jarrett Johnsons, and you know, Ray Lewis against Ben Roethlisberger, and uh, let's see, Haloti Nada lighting up Rashard Mendenhall. I'm just starting <laughs> to think of the positives here. T.J. Watt is going to rekindle this rivalry for me <laughs> because I get it. He's a great player. He's he's one of the f- probably final guys in that lo- final short list for defensive player of the year. But, man, he is annoying. And and just 
go in for the strip sack every time and ended up punching people in the arm and the shoulder pad. He's celebrating after every single tackle. He's not nearly as good as his brother, even though his brother's injured all the time, but he wants to think he is because he's got like Napoleon syndrome because he's, I don't know, maybe 50 to 75 pounds lighter than his brother. I can't imagine being in that household as a kid. That is the guy. That is the new Heinz Ward of this generation of Ravens fans is TJ Watt. And I can't wait to cheer against him for years and years and years to come. Yeah, he, I mean, in the in the two games that I've seen him play against the Ravens, he got stiff armed by a quarterback to the ground. Uh, got called for a personal foul in this game when he decided to like chicken wing RG three after the ball was thrown. I don't like him, Tim. You don't like him. I'm back in on hating the Steelers. Worry uh, as much as, if not more, than the Browns. Um. So you, we had started to talk about the the defense that and that was actually my other big positive from this game, and we've talked about the struggles of the Steelers' offense. They uh, they hit their magic number of ten points scored yet again. Uh, they said on the broadcast they've gone thirty straight games now without scoring over thirty points, which is a lot of games. It's like two seasons worth of games. <laughs> um, uh, so they have definitive problems on offense. And Duck Hodges is clearly not the answer, as fun as the Duck thing was when he came uh, to the forefront. But the Ravens still held the Steelers to 168 yards, um, which I had read was the fewest by the Steelers since about 2010. Um, So that was really good. And I think an encouraging performance, especially given that outside of Brandon Williams, pretty much all the starters on defense did play in this game. Um, so still have slight concerns about the pass rush, um, especially when we can't blitz necessarily in the playoffs, maybe, but, um, outside of that, I thought it was a really impressive performance, uh, by them to, even with a limited offense they were going against to not give them anything. First of all, Wink Martindale blitzes 40 or 52% of the time, excuse me. They're blitzing in the playoffs, and, it's, and he's going to bring the house with the sunglasses and the mullet ready to go. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you, Jace. The, the pass rush was a little concerning. Uh, but, you know, guys like, you know, one guy I wanted to point out, Anthony Averett, the pronunciation is, is a little weird. It's what they were saying anyway on the broadcast. And I thought he played really well. That could definitely be a Dan Fouts <laughs> well, uh, situation. But maybe, but maybe, maybe right. uh, yeah, I didn't want to mention him today. It was Ian Eagle, so I, tr- I trust Ian and his pronunciations, even though he doesn't You mean know a guy who pronounces well. his first name Ian? He doesn't know how to say his own first name, but we'll go with Everett. Um, I thought he played really well, even though he was targeted. Uh, Chuck Clark, another nine tackles, leads the team in tackles. Now, it's he led the team in tackles this year with 67 by far the fewest for any team leader in Ravens history. But a reason for that, and this comes from Bo Smolka on Twitter, one of the Ravens reporters, the Ravens opponents ran 921 offensive plays, the fewest in Ravens history. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities for tackles because the Ravens offense just kept the ball. Uh, but but overall, I thought the defense played pretty well. And, and I mean, we got to talk about this stat. You want to talk about RG3's line, 11, 21, 96 yards. <laughs> yeah, and a pick. one QB was worse at this game. <laughs> yeah, that was Duck Hodges. He went 9 of 25 for 95 yards with a QBR. He lost a fumble and a QBR of 9.7. Now, you can trust quarterback rating. You cannot, whatever, whatever. If you're a stat head, you're not, whatever it is. That's bad. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is horrific. And. They've got weapons on this offense. You know, there have been a lot of injuries, but Juju Juju Smith-Schuster 
Two receptions for only six yards. Yeah, he did nothing yesterday. Uh, and he's he's probably their main offensive threat. A really, a, you can put it down to a horrible quarterback play, and that's something that they have to address. Whether they bring back Roethlisberger or you know, I would assume draft for the future as well because Big Ben is getting older and older and older. Because Duck Hodges, nor Mason Rudolph are the answer for that offense. Yeah, we watched the Ravens play in Pittsburgh earlier in the year, which seems like three seasons ago now in terms of who these two teams were. But Devlin Hodges came into that game and was a little frisky. A third-string quarterback coming in. I pulled up his box score. Seven of nine for 68 yards. Made some plays. Arguably, if Marlon Humphrey doesn't punch the ball out of Smith-Schuster's hands, uh, that was that is a different result, you know, and that ends up being a Steelers win with a third string quarterback. And then just from that game, Duck just sort of the slow, slow decline. The game looked way too fast for him on so many different occasions. I mean, it, situations where he's starting to roll out, there's pressure, throw the ball away. I mean, that's like rookie QB school, and he just did it so late. Well, that he got called for two, yeah, two uh, intentional groundings, which, which you don't see a lot of. Was a safety. Was a safety. They were just so obvious on his way down, where he was almost already sacked before he even got rid of the ball. Just those little simple things that you have to get right, and then you know making plays is the other level of of skill. But looked lost the whole game. He looked frustrated on the sidelines, like he knew that he didn't belong. They had several shots of him late in the game where he just looked. I mean, I want to come up with a pun for ducks, but deer in the headlights kind of thing, whatever a duck is when it's uh, very surprised by what's going on. So, yeah, he's not going to be there next year. Uh, Pittsburgh, even without a first-round draft pick, needs to find an answer at at quarterback moving forward in the draft or or free agency, certainly. Jameis? We'll talk about him later, but (laughs) I I wouldn't mind playing Jameis twice a year. Uh, Real quickly on the defensive side, we should throw this out here. This happened... A couple days ago at this point, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it because it was uh, after we recorded Marcus Peters, a guy that we thought might have been a rental, uh, fifth traded a fifth round pick and Kenny Young in exchange for Marcus Peters. The defense has been completely revitalized. He is going to stay in Baltimore three years, forty two million dollar contract extension. The extension is thirty two million dollars guaranteed, which is seventy six percent of the total contract. Uh, this is according to Adam Schefter at ESPN. And it's going to pay Peters $20.5 million in the first year, and he'll be able to hit the free agent market when he's 29. I think, I think my initial reaction, that's a lot of money Yikes! for a guy that we've seen all the positives and is known to have positives and negatives. But the impact he's had on this defense, along with some of the other moves, as we've talked about over and over and over again, cannot be understated. And something I saw as well, this is, this is more into the – analytics Ravens now that we have it's not only in-game situations it's with evaluating talent they are they're very much more concerned about covering themselves on the back end and figuring out with pass rushers later you can debate the validity of that you know me as a guy who loves the boys up front can't say I always agree with that mentality but when you look at it this way you've got Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters Marlon's gonna get an extension they're they're gonna pay him that's gonna happen so at least for the next three years they're gonna have those two guys with a guy like Chuck Clark, with Tony Jefferson, who's coming back at safety, and with Earl Thomas as well. Who Earl Thomas and re- Tavon Young, theoretically, should be coming and, back as well. Yep. So Tavon Young is a slot corner who was one of the best slot corners in football uh, before he hurt himself, and he obviously been out all this year. Probably smell, s- smells, probably spells the end for Jimmy Smith, who I'm sure doesn't smell. 
which, you know, unfortunate. Obviously, injuries have really, really taken a toll on his career, especially in the back half. But my initial reaction, and I'm going to try to be positive. This would be Tim is positive on this podcast tonight. My initial reaction is I worry. I don't think we're going to see the crazy Marcus Peters level that we saw early in this early in this season next year. Hopefully it keeps going throughout the playoffs. I don't think we're going to see this massive drop off that everybody's talking about. Um, but but really nice to especially with some other concerns. And this is stuff we'll get into later in the offseason with guys that need to be re-signed and who they're going to bring back, who they're going to bring in, things like that. But to not have to worry about the defensive secondary, which is something that's been an issue since Ed Reed left, I think is pretty comforting. So I'm, uh, I fall on the side. I'm a fan of this deal. And for a few reasons, like you said, Marcus Peters, he is an experience. Uh, there's definitely pros and cons. Sunday's game, uh, we were talking a little beforehand. Um, Duck Hodges' best throw of the day dropped one into Deontay Johnson. And I don't know what Marcus Peters saw in the play. He kind of just was with him and then he wasn't. And Johnson made a really nice catch, sure, but uh, Peters was right there with him until he wasn't. Not sure what happened on that play. So he'll have lapses like that, and we've talked on and off throughout the year. He's not, obviously, the most adept tackler, and he'll do things like talk trash even during plays he's not involved in, like when Benny Snell got tackled near the line of scrimmage uh, in Sunday's game. Peters got right up in his face, despite having, you know, no role in the actual play, so who knows what was going on there. So you get all this with Marcus Peters, but he's a guy I think is a younger than people realize because he's only 26. Uh, it seems like Marcus Peters has been around a long time because he had such that excellent rookie year. He came, comes in, has nine picks, I believe wins defensive player of the year um, right off the bat. Um, his just outstanding rookie season. So it seems like he's been around for a long time, but he's only been in the league since 2015. Um, so this extension, while a lot of money, they're getting his best years. He still picks the ball off a lot, um, leads the team at interceptions currently or tied with Marlon Humphrey. Um, and I think you're getting his best years. And also, I think that because the Ravens have hit on Lamar Jackson, they have the most important piece in football on a rookie deal. These are the kind of contracts um, you can give out to uh, supplement, you know, your core around your star players. And I think um, the Peters extension is three years. It'll mostly take us to the end of Lamar's rookie deal because they are 100% picking up his fifth-year option as it stands today. Um, And so I think this is just the kind of deals you can do when you have – when you hit on a franchise QB and are only paying them about a million dollars a year. Uh, or under five or whatever his max ceiling is. Um, so I, I enjoy it. Like you said, it's depth for the secondary, which the Ravens um, need and I think is a big key. And we'll get into, especially with a possible, possible franchise quarterback entering the division here next year and Baker Mayfield, who could still sling it. I think it's good to have a good secondary. Um, so I am fine with the deal long term or for now. Yeah, real quickly to reiterate this for people who aren't maybe super nerds about this and in some ways I envy you <laughs> the the biggest thing in football that we've kind of come to find out has been key to a lot of success in recent times outside of the Patriots is having a stud quarterback on a rookie deal because a quarterback as you saw with Joe Flacco who got paid and I will defend that contract to my death 
Quarterbacks take up a large chunk of your salary cap when you have to pay them again, after their rookie deals are up, when it's time for them to get that money. And what happens is you can't invest around him as much because you're paying the most important guy on the team. We're locked into Lamar Jackson for three more years after this season because, like Jay said, they're going to pick up the fifth-year option. This is the window. Don't make no qualms about that. This is the window. I know he's still going to be young when they pay him again, but this is the best opportunity to win a Super Bowl with this quarterback because you can give him all this talent. Now, with that being said, you don't want to be the Los Angeles Rams and mortgage your future and try and sign all these guys who don't necessarily fit your schemes and just bring in stars to bring in stars. And we saw and then they give Goff the extension early, which I'll never understand that move. But that's a different conversation for a different day. And all of a sudden, this this Rams team who looked like they were going to be the studs of the NFL for the next four or five seasons are now stuck with no draft capital, which is very, very important as well. And with a lot of guys on massive contracts that some of them, they're probably going to have to deal in this offseason. So locking these guys in who are very talented, who you think can help you win now is very important. And another point there, Jace, just on that as well. Important to see that contract is up the same time Lamar's up, because if they got to repay Peters again and they're picking one, I'm telling you who they're picking and it's number eight. (laughs) I mean, that's that's the whole deal there. I'm going to keep it short. I originally thought this was I was not a fan of this move at all, just because I'm so sure of the Peters drop off. I'm waiting for the other that's coming next season. But (laughs) the the years make a lot of sense. I like the length of the contract. Uh, He's a pro bowler who was going to, you know, that's that's the cost that he's going to be at that uh, amount of time. I also didn't like it just because I, I viewed it as the Ravens have depth in that level of the field. So that's where they don't have to pay a guy like this. But he's the turnover machine, and they were struggling to create turnovers with the guys that they have. And I don't think most of those guys are going to just turn into turnover machines. Humphrey is an amazing defensive player, but he's not really the, like, pick six type player. Earl Thomas, quite frankly, if we had to do an end-of-season retrospective, I think we would give him a lower grade than any grade he's gotten as, as a player in the NFL. He was fine. Uh, but didn't really come up with the turnovers, and he's only going to get you know older. So this is the guy that you want to keep. That's why they paid him, and it's his job to to basically get the the interceptions for, <laughs> for your secondary. Um, and yeah, and we'll be able to still re- resign Lamar Jackson, and we're not going to be uh, hemorrhaging money in years four, five, six. Yeah, that's what you hope. And I know we need to move off this game. I want to make two quick points, and they both are on special teams, which we haven't covered here today. The Ravens had an FU moment in this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I was a huge fan. <laughs> On their own 11, they ran a fake punt. A fake punt. This is the team that is goes for it on fourth down. They're, they're no, you know, Sam Cook has not gotten nearly as much work as he has in years past because they're so confident in their offense, obviously a little different with the quote-unquote B-side in. So instead, old Johnny Harbaugh draws up the <laughs> fake punt, which we haven't seen since week one, and gets the first down off of it. No, it was close. It was very close. But... We don't have to debate the validity of it in a game like this where nothing really mattered for the Ravens. I just love John putting them on the table against Pittsburgh and saying, we're better than you and we know it. Another thing, too, Justin Tucker, and this is a beautiful little story from Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic, who we talk about all the time. Uh, Another good game from Tuck. A quote from Zarebeck. This is a, a tweet that he had during the game. Quote, the Ravens didn't immediately sign Justin Tucker after his rookie minicamp tryout. As he waited on an offer... 
The Pittsburgh Steelers asked him to come in for a workout. He opted to wait on the Ravens. They're lucky he did. In 17 career games against Pittsburgh, Tucker is 48 for 50 on field goal attempts <laughs> against the Steelers. Uh, just, just one of those moments in time, how different things could have been if they didn't do that. I just thought a nice little nugget that we needed to throw in there as well. I love it so much because he, Tucker has, in his entire career, been a better kicker in at Heinz than any Pittsburgh kicker has Absolutely. been. Uh, it's all it's all the mental games. It's all mental, and they know it, and I love that we have Justin Tucker. Yeah, he's incredible. The fourth one he hit was insane. He fell down while kicking a 47-yard field goal and still made it like fairly like drama-free and then did a little dance afterwards. It was great. <laughs> he's, he's, he's quirky. Again, very large trust, as he said before the game. He's a strange dude, but he's the best. He's the greatest. He's of our all strange time. dude. Yeah. He's our strange dude. <laughs> he's the goat. Like I don't even think there's an argument toward it at this point. So, like him on our side. Speaking of other teams in the AFC North not being good at oh, signing boy. the best kicker in the NFL, let's turn now to the AFC North as a whole. With the season being over, this was supposed to be a division that maybe was going to have three teams go to the playoffs. Uh, one of those teams was a Super Bowl favorite, and it wasn't the Ravens. With the end of the season, Pittsburgh eight and eight, Cleveland six and ten. Boy, you love to see it. Cincinnati two and fourteen. All three of those teams with a negative point differential. One of those coaches has already been fired. Freddie Kitchens now gone. Uh, Cleveland Browns now searching for their newest coach. I think <laughs> Tim and I we both saw that they're looking for the coach to pick the GM. What was this recent uh, ridiculous thing that we've seen the Browns trying to do? Yeah, it's it's the, it's the same thing the Redskins are kind of doing with, if you're listening to this, they might have already hired Ron Rivera by the time. And we'll talk about this a little later in the NFL section. But they're like picking, they want to pick the head coach to make sure that he's going to line up with what the GM's philosophy will be, the new GM that they want to bring in, which um, is, let's, let's, family show, but backwards uh, in terms of how you should be running a franchise. I don't understand how that lines up. Usually you want to pick your personnel guy and see how his philosophy matches with a potential head coach. Um, The Kitchens thing, we've talked about it all year. I'm not going to waste any more breath on the Cleveland Browns now that I don't have to. By the way, Jarvis Landry and Odell, keep trolling Marcus Peters and his contract (laughs) extension on Twitter. We'll see you in the playoffs, big boys. Have fun. Go, go hang on on another boat, Odell, and, and do some illegal drugs in Miami. I, I bet you're going to have a great time with that. Um, <laughs> Freddie was out of his depth from week one. We knew this, and it showed. And again, don't have to get into it too, too much because we said it so much on last week's podcast. If you haven't listened, you should. There is nothing better than watching the Cleveland Browns thinking they're finally going to have their moment and just <laughs> spoiling it completely. Yeah, they, that's, you said it. Freddie's out, and he was in over his head. Um, so, yeah, John Dorsey, who knows? You've seen Mike McCarthy thrown out several times as a potential candidate, which, uh, you know, I'm sure the guy who couldn't get along with Aaron Rodgers will uh, be just fine with Baker Mayfield. But, uh, um, yeah, not much to say. Good for the Bengals. Get a second win. No one wants to just win one, and... You know, they locked in that number one overall pick the week before so they could go fully all out and just, uh, yeah, ruin their rivals year yet again. And uh, but on their side, they did lock up the number one overall pick. 
Looks like it's going to be Joe Burrow, who uh, is coming off. I don't know if you saw a uh, FBS Bowl record eight total touchdowns in the uh, Peach Bowl semifinal against the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, so he seems really good. He threw seven touchdowns in the first half of that game. Uh, <laughs> so seems like he's an Ohio kid. He'll be the number one overall pick, most likely, to the Bengals. Um, so that's a concern for another day, but uh, he certainly looks like he's their choice at the top of the draft. Jace, I'm going to ask you this because I think you're you follow college football more than than Tim or I. But watched I watched that game uh, with Burrow, <laughs> who seemingly looked like he was already an NFL player throwing against a college defense. It was a massacre. And then I watched Trevor Lawrence in the second game for Clemson, who terrified me as much, just in a different way. And I sort of started to, th- I was sitting there thinking, is it better that the Bengals got the number one pick this year and that they're taking Burrow as opposed to a year later when they'd be able to get Trevor Lawrence? It seems like those are going to be the two, not, I mean, you can't jump years ahead, but they look like the two number one overall picks in the next two seasons. I'll ask you who you think is better as a quarterback in the NFL, and then in parentheses, who terrifies you more uh, playing against the Ravens because I, for me, with very small sample size, I Lawrence was terrifying. He's yeah. a big guy who can run and throw, and Burrow seems more like that pocket passer. But I'll, I'll let you analyze yeah, for us. Burrow, Burrow is athletic, but he's a little more kind of traditional. I, I, I'm a Lawrence guy. I think he is just on a different. I think Burrow can have great success if his team's decent too. But I think Lawrence can be a guy that's like no matter how crappy your team is, kind of like Andrew Luck was coming in, like no matter how bad your team is, you can go like 10 and six every year, like a Peyton Manning level. Cause this guy's that good. I mean, he has it all. He's, you know, six, six can run really fast. Uh, his arm is crazy in a way Burroughs isn't, he can make, he can just, he has some throws that, you're just, that are just insane. And now Clemson has great receivers too, but so do LSU. And I just am so impressed with Lawrence. I think Burrow's definitely really good. His eyes are always downfield and he can shift around and throws well on the run. But I, I, personally, I am a little more scared of Lawrence. I think he kind of is the more complete package. He's taller, stronger, faster kind of <laughs> And, and uh, you, fail, you failed to mention, J.C., has beautiful hair. Oh, great flow. Fantastic flow. It would look really bad in that Bengals uniform. <laughs> so maybe spend the pick on Burrow, although, you know, as Antonio mentioned, I, I, I keep tabs but not super deep into college football. Both of them would scare me. But yes. Cincinnati needs a lot more talent, I think, to be competitive even without that. Real quickly, before we move off the AFC North, one thing we should mention you said McCarthy's being linked. Adam Schefter reported that the Cleveland Browns have requested permission to interview Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman for their head coaching vacancy. Now, this is something I'm just going to reply with the Michael Scott gif. No, no, God, no, please, no. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, this is something we'll speculate down the line when the Ravens are out of the playoffs at whatever juncture they are, not trying to curse anything. And that's when, you know, Wink and Roman become interesting head coaching candidates, but just something that we should mention because it is out there in the news. Mark Ingram quoted said tweet with all caps fail. So hopefully he knows something we don't know and that Greg is not going to leave for the tire fire that is the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I I go back and forth with that. You know, coordinators want to be head coaches, even if they don't really say as much, even if they say the right things about loving the situation they're in. 
But that's as bad of a situation for a head coach to want to go in, just in terms of organizational chaos, like we're talking about with this get the coach first and then the GM. Like any good company, you know, you get the employees first and then you have them hire the managers and then the managers hire the presidents <laughs> of the company. It seems a little backwards. I, I don't think he would want to go to Cleveland, but you want to be a head coach. He'll probably have a lot more opportunities as the offseason unfolds, and so we'll see if he wants to go elsewhere, but I think the three of us should go and try to lock him to his desk. Uh, Down. In, in Baltimore. Down. And, and just keep him here. Him and Wink. I'm sure that will only go well. But, okay. <laughs> Enough of the AFC North, because only one of those teams is going to the playoffs. Let's turn to the NFL, where we had some strange games. Just a couple of classic Week 17 games in the NFL. The first one I want to go over, the Patriots. Yeah, this is where we have to start. <laughs> Losing at home to the Miami Dolphins, who lost to the Ravens by 59 points earlier in the season. Lost to the same Patriots by 40 points earlier in the season. 43 to nothing, in fact. They did not score in that first game. (laughs) I watched a little more of this game than I would have normally. Patriots looked horrendous. Horrendous. They could not complete a pass, seemingly. Brady made one of the worst pick six throws I've ever I've ever seen him make first and foremost it was like a rookie in their first month of their career throwing that late ball to the sidelines one of the easier pick sixes I've seen Fitzpatrick Fitzmagic I should say completing passes all over the field against this vaunted you know record setting uh Patriots defense he completed 68 percent of his passes He's not good. Uh, And this was supposed to be against, you know, one of the best defenses in the NFL. They lost the number two seed. The Patriots did as a punishment of this horrible performance. They now have to play week one of the postseason, which they hadn't done in 10 years. Thoughts on the Patriots moving forward? Thoughts on this game against the Dolphins that they played at home? Um, Stefan Gilmore was supposed to be the defensive player of the year and got torched by Fitzmagic and Devontae Parker all game. I still think their defense is good, but I think you're. this is a classic case of a defense getting worn out with when your offense is that horrible. I mean, Julian Edelman is supposed to be the only guy he has to throw to. He had three receptions, a uh, fumble, which he did not lose, and 26 yards on those. Uh, Mohamed Sanu has been absolutely terrible. This comes from Bill Simmons, who I'm sure you've heard of, very, very popular sports podcaster, and... Um, very well-known New England Patriots fan. He tweeted this after the game yesterday. Who had more receiving TDs for the 2019 Pats than Alandon Roberts, who is a linebacker, out of these eight guys? And he lists out a bunch of guys in this. Uh, it, all these receivers that they've had, Mohamed Sanu, Antonio Brown, Rex Burkhead, Josh Gordon, Sony Michelle, Benjamin Watson, Nikhil Harry. Answer, Nikhil Harry with two. That's it. <laughs> they had a linebacker who had more receiving TDs than pretty much their whole receiving core in general. Brown, Sanu, Gordon, and Brandon Bolden each had one. Burkhead, Sony Michelle, and Myers had zero. Their offense is a shambles. I mean, credit to Antonio again here. He, he called it with the Steelers, and he called it with the Pats. He's, he's not scared of them. And they look horrendous. They're, I think their record in wild card games in this era, this Brady-Belichick era, is 500. Yeah, um, they, the, the stat I jotted down is when they have to play in wildcard weekend overall, they're three and three in the postseason. So like years they have to play 
wild card games. They are three and three in the postseason with no Super Bowl appearances. Yeah. So they're and they're it's going a big up against for them. Yeah, they're going up against a really tough Titans team, which we'll talk about in a second here. Um, they blew it. Yeah, they were eleven and one. They were eleven and one, and finally they stopped playing cupcakes. They stopped playing the schools for the blind, and and it showed. And now they're the three seed, a tough opponent. And guess what? The next team we're going to talk about, if they win their wild card game, they got to go to Kansas City, who outside of the Baltimore Ravens might be the hottest team in the NFL right now with a with a vaunted defense who just added a Hall of Famer in Terrell Suggs, who congratulations to him, moved up to, I believe, eighth all time in the NFL sack list. It is. And look, in my voice, I may sound concerned. I'm actually just ecstatic <laughs> this is what's happened to the new england patriots brady finally looks i don't he's not taking his magic water or the tb12 diet or whatever it is anymore he looks ancient out there on the field um i am still not going to sit here and say i'm not worried about the new england patriots in the postseason because they're the new england patriots but man this is in this era with brady healthy this is probably the worst version of them i've ever seen yeah, this is as bad as they've played, and especially just yesterday and Sunday, you know, like beat the Miami Dolphins to secure a first round by in Foxborough. It wasn't like, you know, they lose dumb games down in Miami, it seems like. I mean, last year they had the Miami Miracle play with Kenyon Drake just running all over the place. and uh, But this was a different type of loss. It was... It's about as bad as a loss I can remember, given the opponent and the situation the Patriots having in a really, really long time. Uh, it was very unexpected and definitely, I think, the, the biggest takeaway from Week 17. Just from a Ravens perspective, I think it's a worst-case scenario kind of situation. I mean, if I, I, you, know, you don't want to jump weeks ahead, but if you want to go chalk with uh, an NFL playoff bracket, it was looking like the Chiefs would advance and have to beat the Patriots again in Foxborough, which to me was going to be very difficult for the Chiefs to do. As a Ravens fan, I would rather play the Patriots in the AFC title game than the Chiefs. And now there, I see no way that the Patriots, if they win this first round game, I see no way that they beat the Chiefs in Kansas City with this team as it is. And it just the road just looks like that the Chiefs are going to come into Baltimore if the Ravens advance, obviously. And that's a team we lost to them this year. That That's one of the teams that we lost to, of the two teams, granted earlier in the season. But they're playing such good football. They're healthy. Mahomes is looking like Mahomes of last year. And, you know, take care of your take care of your stuff, Patriots, and then you could have <laughs> lost to us in the playoffs. But I'm, I don't think they're ever going to get there. Yeah, two of Lamar's losses on the road have both come at Arrowhead. Um, which is against the Chiefs. Now, obviously, this will be a home game. We should mention now, Kansas City, who boy, they did they did their job, uh, 31-21 over the L.A. Chargers. It looks like the end of Phillip Rivers' time there, which go listen to his postgame speech because he says dang gummit, which is one of the best words in the English dictionary, if it's actually in there. Uh, it's it kind of sad to see that he era got, end. He got me a little bit there. He choked me up a little bit watching him. He, uh, you don't see Phil cry too much. Uh, yeah, but for he me definitely too. had the tears coming in the postgame. Uh, it seems one, like the end and, for him. Yeah, and one guy we didn't mention um, during our game, is, oh, we mentioned him once, and that was one too many times, was Dan Fouts, uh, who was on the Ravens game again uh, with Ian Eagle there, obviously a game that didn't mean anything. 
The guy who was on the Kansas City game, and I, this might have been a radio call, I haven't been able to confirm this yet, was Kevin Harlan, who we've mentioned before, is one of the best commentators in sports right now. Uh, he did the ravens Bengals game when I was unfortunately in New Orleans, so I, had to, I was kind of catching pieces as I could go. I didn't get the full Kevin Harlan experience. Folks, if you haven't heard this viral clip of what happened in the Chiefs game, so, so what happens is, if you didn't know the situation, obviously Pats had to lose, Chiefs had to win to get the two seed. Kevin Harlan is calling the Chiefs game. He's watching the Chiefs game, calling the Chiefs game, and then this is what happens. Meanwhile, Miami has first and goal down by four. And they're at the New England four-yard line, first and goal. 29 seconds left. Here, Butker kicks the extra point. And Fitzpatrick throws in the end zone. Touchdown, Miami! The Dolphins have just scored. Gasicki, the tight end, got a laser in the back of the end zone on a goal-to-go touchdown pass by Miami quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick to take a lead with 24 seconds to go. The extra point coming up for Miami, leading New England 26-24. to And the crowd now knows it. What a throw by Fitzpatrick. What a touchdown run by Williams on the last weekend of the regular season in the NFL. If the Chiefs win and New England loses, the Chiefs will be the two seed. They'll get the bye and they'll have a home game the next weekend. I'm getting confused. What game are you calling? I'm calling both games. Here is the extra point. The Dolphins have just gone up on New England 27-24 with 24 seconds to go. Incredible stuff by one of the best commentators in the NFL, as Jace mentioned pre-show to us, and the NBA as well. He's calling two games at the same time. He's he's either in Kansas City or watching both off monitors and able to dis- dissect both things as they happen to give the fan the complete experience of the ramifications of what's going on because the games are, are linked. And probably my favorite piece of commentating throughout the entire year. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, he was uh, calling the game for CBS uh, in Kansas City. But yeah, must have just been watching the, uh, the Dolphins-Pats game unfold. He's a pro. He's the greatest. He's my favorite commentator, I think, across all sports. When, you know, they got him on the late TNT game. It's always a delight to hear him and uh, for the NBA. And uh, I think criminally underused for uh, NFL broadcast by CBS, honestly. But, uh, you know, he has his plate full. He's also the Monday night national radio voice for Monday night football games on Westwood One. So, Which is better than Tessator and Booger, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so um, he, uh, he called, obviously, the drunk fan on the field several years ago. Was a, a Kevin Harlan classic. Um, he had the cat in the end zone on Monday night football this year. Another great one. Uh, so, yeah, if you're looking to kill some time, look up great Kevin Harlan calls. He's got them, NBA, NFL. He's all over the place. It's awesome. With those results from those two games that Kevin Harlan was watching. <laughs> Just to go through the six, officially, Ravens number one seed. The Chiefs are two. They both have a bye. Patriots three. Texans four. And then the two wild cards are the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. That's in the AFC. I want to talk about the NFC. One of the teams that's getting a bye is the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> who struggled all game against the David Blau-led Detroit Lions. 
Jace, I mean, I'm a Rodgers guy. I know you're a Rodgers guy and a Packers fan, but is this are they by far the worst of the four teams getting a bye or just the strangest of the four teams getting a bye? They're 13 and 3 and they yeah. look terrible all game. Yeah, and they, in other games. <laughs> they just haven't looked impressive for large stretches of this season. Um now Strangely, I think they're going to be a hard out in the playoffs because, A, they have a bye. You have to go to Lambeau Field in January. Not easy to do. Um, B, still have Aaron Rodgers, even though he's obviously had a hit, hit, hit and miss at times this year. But their defense is actually really good, and we should say, uh, led by former Ravens linebacker Zadarius Smith, who... I don't know. Maybe we just didn't appreciate him, or at least I didn't appreciate him. But you watch Packers game, and he is just wreaking havoc in these games. I, it's kind of unexpected. Um, I thought he was great with the Ravens, but I wasn't. He was probably the guy I was least heartbroken they didn't re-sign, given Terrell Suggs and Eric Weddle and those guys, CJ Mosley. But they have a good defense and Aaron Rodgers, so they could, you know, make some noise. But I agree with you. I think the 49ers, who... Uh, captured the number one seed uh, in a thriller late Sunday night um, by basically a yard, a goal line stand. Um, they're the number one seed. And then the Saints become the first 13-3 and team to have to play on wild card weekend since 2011 when the New Orleans Saints went 13-3 and and had to play on wild card weekend. So I think the Saints are significantly better than the Packers personally, but... The Packers win on the conference tiebreaker, so um, I guess they just had the foresight to lose to the Chargers uh, as one of their losses instead of to an NFC team. But uh, yeah, the Packers, I don't know, one of the stranger 13-3 teams I can remember in a long time. Yeah, I would just say overall, I don't have a ton to say about that game individually. I haven't watched as much Packers as Jace has because I don't have a crush on Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> don't but, worship at the altar of Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, but the NFC, man, is a gauntlet. And it's something that we can talk about as it develops. But you've got Seahawks, Niners, which, by the way, an incredible game to cap out the regular season in the National Football League between those two teams. The Niners getting the one seed and thoroughly deserved. Um, outside of the Ravens, I think they're the best team. Uh, second, They're the second best team in football outside of the Baltimore Ravens, obviously. Um, the Seahawks, who are very, very good. You've got the Saints that you mentioned. You got the Packers there as well. Uh, maybe the Vikings can do something. And the Eagles, the Eagles at home are the Eagles, man. Carson Wentz balled out in his final game, and he's got nobody to throw to, and he still threw for four thousand yards. So, yeah. I'm very, very happy that we're playing in the AFC rather than the yeah. NFC because I think that that the upper echelon talent there, it, there's no comparison between the two conferences. You only end up having to play one of those NFC. Teams. You hope, yes. Uh, you mentioned balling out, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna turn it right back to you because somebody else in the NFC balled out on Sunday, and I'm just gonna give you a few minutes here to talk about one of your one of your favorite NFL players. I mean, he's got to be outside of Lamar Jackson, maybe the most exciting player in football, and that would be Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston, who we talked about this a couple times, was going for the vaunted thirty and 30, 30 touchdowns and thirty interceptions, and boy, let me tell you. He's got a flair for the dramatic. Uh, he's on 29 interceptions. He already passed the 30 touchdown mark. And old Jameis goes into overtime, and everybody wants the 30th pick. They want the 30th pick. They want the 30th pick. And Jameis says, ask, and you shall receive. 
He threw it right to an Atlanta Falcons player for a walk-off pick six to end Tampa Bay's season and get him the vaunted record of 30 interceptions in one NFL season. I don't know what the Bucks do with the guy because clearly he can. he's got talent. Um, apparently he needs glasses and just doesn't want them. I think that's a big issue if you're a quarterback. He also said in his press conference, uh, I believe it was today or it might have been after the game yesterday, that if he just fixes those, he'll be, quote, balling. Okay, Jameis. And Bruce Arians said today that uh, we could win with another quarterback. We could win with this quarterback, which take take whatever you want out of that, uh, out of context. Real quote. ringing endorsement there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really have anything more to say to that. But well, I, I want Jameis – I want Jameis – I'll put it this way. I want Jameis to be starting for a team next year because yes. I just want to keep tabs on if he can do this again. Well, he uh, – some other notable uh, – that pick six, Tim, was the record setter. Seven pick sixes in a season uh, is a new NFL record. He broke a tie he had with uh, Peyton Manning and another guy who I'll admit I do not know, some guy from like the 60s. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so Jameis seven pick sixes. They showed a stat on Sports Center, which was absolutely unbelievable. That twenty four of his thirty interceptions came at home at Raymond James Stadium. So he only threw six six interceptions on the road this year in eight games. Threw twenty four interceptions at home games. Seems impossible, but. <laughs> Um, so that was great. Uh, yeah. First guy to have 30 interceptions in 30 years. Uh, he's all over the map. He became one of only eight QBs to throw for 5,000 yards in a year. So he did cross 5,000 yards. Uh, he finished second in touchdowns (laughs) behind Lamar Jackson. Uh, fascinating year. (laughs) I I could keep talking about him, but let's, we gotta, we gotta move on. Uh, I would say maybe run the ball more, guys. It seems like that may solve a problem. How did he have all this production? But anyway. It's Bruce Arians. That's why. <laughs> uh, elsewhere in the NFC, got to talk about the NFC East, because that was one of the more bizarre divisions all season. And now as it concludes, the Eagles are going to the playoffs. The Giants are likely going to lose and get rid of, at the same time, Eli Manning. Bruce Allen fired as the GM of the Redskins after a 10-year stint where he went 62 and 97 and didn't win a single playoff game. Is that good? And it's not it's not good. Jason Garrett likely in all certainty will be fired or released. I think his yeah, contract is up is so with, they'll just yeah. they'll just let him walk out of the building in Dallas. It will be a very different NFC East next year. Uh, thoughts about any of those teams? Uh, Jason Garrett happened eight years too late at this point. Uh, <laughs> the, the Clapper's been in that job for way too yeah, long. Parts of fin- ten seasons. He took yeah, over this, during the 2010 season for Blake That's Phillips. ridiculous. He's been there the entire decade as everybody's doing these decade wrap-ups, which it just boggles my mind. Uh, Jerry finally made the move. And you know Jerry, they're going to go big with whoever that's going to be. I'm, who knows if it's going to work out or not. It might have to be somebody who needs to work with Dak because they're uh, probably going to pay Dak as well. Could it be Urban Meyer at that place? Who knows? Stuff we can speculate on later. Uh, Shermer, I don't think we'll ever get a head coaching opportunity ever again. I don't know why he got a second one with the Giants. I believe it was his second opportunity. Yeah, he was head coach of the Browns. I looked at his record. Uh, He posted four and twelve and five and eleven records with the Browns, and then went five and eleven and four and twelve with the Giants. So, uh, real uh, commitment to excellence there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I, I don't know. The East is so weird because it's one of these vaunted, you know, it's the I, I like the NFC East because every tea, everybody's a rival with each other. Um, I was I work with a Philadelphia Eagles fan and I asked him actually uh, this morning at time of recording who he hates the most as an Eagles fan. Because I, I and he's and he, he definitively said, oh, it's the Cowboys. But he's like, but I have a lot of Eagles fans, friends who so it's definitely the Giants. Nobody cares about the Redskins. Um it's just a very interesting division, and I think it'll be because it's a bunch of he- big media markets. It'll be real. It'll be covered a lot, and I think they're all going to make pretty splashy moves quickly for the Redskins. You know, President of Operations Bruce Allen was going to be moved to a different role, which happened before, and then they brought in Scott McLuhan, who was actually a good GM, and then Bruce Allen, under the radar, got him fired, and then it turned into even more of a dumpster fire when it started to look like things might be going up for Washington. They finally, Dan Snyder finally made the right move and got him out of the building completely. Uh, so, you know, it's fun to make fun of the Redskins, but hopefully maybe this is the start of, of something good for them. I've, I have a lot of f- friends and I know a lot of people who are Redskins fans and I'd, I'd like to see them at least just be competitive yeah, from now on. It was necessary move. I'm kind of surprised, honestly, they didn't just reassign him because in the kind of reports leading into the weekend, that was what was going to happen was they were just going to move him more to the business side. Uh, but he's out entirely. And yeah, the, the record kind of speaks for itself. It's not you can't do that for a decade and expect to like keep your job or keep fans interested. And I know fire Bruce Allen was a big rallying cry for Redskins fans. So I don't know. They'll have to move on to the next thing when the team also goes four and 12 next year. But, uh, I don't with Dan Steiner there. I don't know how much it'll change anything, but it was a necessary step to at least try. Yeah. And the next thing we should mention too, it looks like by the time you listen to this, it might already be announced. It looks like riverboat Ron Rivera is going to be the coach. Now, again, they're doing the thing where they're hiring their coach before their GM, who knows if that's going to work out, but I think that's a pretty solid move for them. So a lot of things moving and shaking, and, and Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, who got a lot of crap this year, um, the Eagles had terrible, terrible injury record, and they were able to pull out the title, even against you know a weaker division. So good on them, and they might be able to surprise some people against Seattle. We'll, we'll have to see. Let's move on now to the What's Bothering Jace segment that I almost uh, hijacked there in the opening segment, but Jace... What's uh what's grinding your gears this week? It's the playoff schedule, Antonio. Every year there I don't understand why we have to still do a one Eastern Sunday game. Why is there no night game? I hate it. It annoys me. You all know me in my personal life. I am a night owl. I do not like the AM times. <laughs> At all, uh, I prefer to not be awake before just noon. Just in life, you don't. Like yeah, the AM you times. <laughs> Nothing good happens before noon. Is a personal philosophy of mine, and uh, yeah, every year, every Sunday rolls around, and I gotta. I'm actually off this Sunday, but I can't sleep in. I gotta roll out of bed, watch uh, the Saints just obliterate Kirk Cousins. Well, where's the Sunday night game? That's what I ask you. Where? I'm sorry, Jace. What time is that on the Pacific Coast? What, what time, time is that? <laughs> uh, 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. Get up. <laughs> Not that early, buddy. Come on. I, I like the 1 o'clock because uh, the working men over here on the East Coast have to wake up on Monday morning and go to their respective jobs, which 
Mine starts at 8 o'clock, sometimes 6.30 in the morning. I know Antonio starts around that time as well. So uh, So you have the weather, we'll take the 1 p.m. game. How about that? (laughs) What's bothering Jace sort of has morphed into what's bothering Tim. Sort of what's bothering me, too. I don't want to hear – people on the West Coast should get nothing else at all. uh, And you certainly – don't need a game put to your right time so that Tim and I have to watch at 11.30 at night. What's bothering Tim is Jace. Uh, Saturday's perfect. First game at noon, next game at three. What a delight. <laughs> so, we'll, uh, you know, as as I've said, I think, a few different times for what's bothering Jace, we'll make sure to send a nice letter uh, to the league, Jace, that you want to move <laughs> the schedule so that you can continue to sleep in until noon, and that makes me so angry. Let's move on to the Random Raven segment where we're blessed because it's Jace's turn. Uh, And we're going to definitely get this because we're both mad at you for wanting to move games to (laughs) non-regular hours for the East Coast. So, your turn for the Random Raven. Who do you have for us this week? So, we're going back a little bit. Um, This defensive back signed with the... And back to the defensive backs. This defensive back signed with the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of San Diego State in 2002. What what year? 2002. Oh my gosh. He played for the Ravens from 2002 to 2005, making 46 starts, mostly at safety, beside Ed Reed. He picked off four passes in the regular season and one in the playoffs in 2003 against the Tennessee Titans, which he returned for a touchdown during... The Ravens' wild card game against Tennessee. He moved on to the Giants in 2006, and then spent his final two seasons with the Texans, retiring in 2008. And then my final clue: he is the only Raven to wear his number, number 47, for multiple seasons. I finally got one. I think I got one. It's been like a month. That I have been drawing blanks against these two, and finally I think I have this one. Oh, man. That's a relief. Although, we'll see at the end of the show. I'm probably going to get it completely wrong. Let's move on now. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll uh, answer the random right at later. the end of the show. Uh, Jace just loving, loving the defensive backs. Yeah, who knew? Well, it must be my secret favorite position. <laughs> Uh, we don't have a game, as I uh, mentioned at the top. Uh, we don't have a game to preview this week because I don't know if you guys know this, but the Ravens are the number one seed, so they get a bye. Um, so they've advanced to the next round of the playoffs, which congratulations to them. So instead, we're going to quickly go over some end-of-year uh, Raven awards. Nominate uh, MVP, uh, Most Improved Player, Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year. The Offensive Player of the Year cannot be the same as the MVP, because I think we will all have the same player for that. And then Rookie of the Year as well, and I promise I won't name Eric DaCosta again as I did when we (laughs) gave out the midseason awards, uh, because that was basically cheating. So, you know, whoever goes first is going to nail a lot of the same names, but why don't we do a few of the names. Jace, why don't you give us MVP and then Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year? So, for MVP, I'm going to go off the board and say Lamar Jackson. Oh, Uh, wow. Wow. Because he is going to probably win the, uh, you know, the actual Ravens MVP, or the actual NFL MVP, as uh, voted by the AAP. Um, Highlights are simple. 36 touchdown passes led the NFL. First quarterback, 1,000 rushing yards, 3,000 passing yards. All-time single-season rushing record for QB. Uh, Record 531 points, which is roughly 120 more points than the Ravens had ever previously scored. Plus 249 point differential. 
which is on the short list of all-time great teams. Lamar was the guy who made it happen. He is the MVP of the actual NFL and of this team. Um, and you said uh, defensive and offensive players of the year? Yes. Uh, defensive player of the year, I'm going with our boy, Marlon Humphrey. Um, he uh, Two defensive touchdowns this year, um, three interceptions, you know, just a number of big plays, the punch out and scoop against the Steelers, uh, return against the Patriots, the ceiling return against the Seahawks. He seemed to have all the biggest plays for the team this year and also just um, – Frequently took out team's best uh, uh, wide receivers. And then for my offensive player of the year, non-Lamar Jackson uh, division, I am going uh, I am going with Mark Andrews, who um, 10 touchdown receptions, a Ravens tight end record, uh, was their leading receiver by receptions and yards as well as touchdowns. Um, I think he just uh, showed he's a special tight end. So he is my offensive player of the year. Yeah, that's interesting. I was looking at Andrews. In terms of tight ends, he finished fifth in the NFL in receiving yards as well, um, around 890, I believe, uh, for Mark Andrews. 852, excuse me. Um, a great pick there. Lamar, MVP. and You know, duh. I'm not going to move <laughs> on there. Defensive player of the year. It's going to be crazy because I talk about him every single week. It's going to be Chuck Clark. Uh, oh. They brought in a number of different guys, and this, and you'll kind of see a theme with my offensive player of the year too. It's not just what he did whistle to whistle. It's it's the leadership role he took immediately when he stepped onto that field. And he, along with some of the acquisitions, were the biggest reasons that this Ravens defense has become a force, or at least not atrocious, from what we saw early in the year, the, the the ability to pick up the defense and be able to call plays, make adjustments and and be the leader with with a lot of different personalities. Earl Thomas, Judon, Peters, Humphrey, guys like that all over the field. Brandon Williams, a big veteran for this team. Michael Pierce, a lot of guys who have been around for a decent amount of time or, you know, big names, big talents. He was the leader of that defense. Like, like I said earlier, led the team in tackles as well this season. So Chuck Clark is going to be my guy for defensive player of the year. And then offensive player of the year, same thing. The stats are there. He was second in the team in rushing behind his quarterback, Lamar Jackson. But it's big trust. Woo-woo! Mark Ingram. 1,000 rushing yards in 15 games, 200, 200 attempts. Uh, obviously, the injury, the update was he was running today. He's on schedule to play in the divisional game. I love it. Which is, love it. Which is great. So many weeks left. A guy who came in, and, and we've mentioned this before, when we, when we picked him up, I was like, oh, great, we'll have some veteran leadership. Well, he, he was the hype man for Lamar Jackson. He was the guy in that huddle full of young talent that was the old vet saying, follow me, we can do this, and deferring to his quarterback. And he said, you're the man to lead this team. I trust you. And the trust from a veteran player like that makes everybody else trust the quarterback around him. And that's part of the reason why I think Lamar was so successful. And not to mention, Mark Ingram just trucks people. And he is so fun to watch. The feet are always moving. Like Gus Bus, he's always falling forward. He's ready to hit you before you're ready to hit him. So when the fourth quarter comes around, you don't want to see 21 and the gold cleats coming your way. So for me, Mark Ingram, Offensive Player of the Year, Chuck Clark, Defensive Player of the Year, and Lamar, MVP. I mean, Ingram set the tone with what kind of runner he was going to be with his first carry in Miami when he rushed for like 40 yards and just bowled people over. They're all great picks. A lot of this is going to be repetitive. Um, MVP is Lamar. Can move on from that. 
Offensive Player of the Year, I'm going with Andrews just because <laughs> I'm going off of Lamar. So you can mention that Ingram certainly helped Lamar uh, in terms of the rushing attack, but Andrews is Lamar's guy. He's a safety blanket. He's his first uh, outlet on the majority of his past plays. We saw that last year. We're, we saw it this year. Andrews, a pro bowler. If he can stop injuring himself every time he falls over, it's like uh, becoming the heap. Todd Heap, uh, Dennis uh, Pitta reincarnation, where I'm, I'm a little nervous about him over the long term getting banged up. But this season, he's my secondary offensive player of the year because just his numbers uh, and how useful he is and how necessary he is for Lamar to, to be successful throwing the ball. Defensive player of the year, I'm going to mix things up a little bit. The secondary, we've been talking about them. They're the strength of this defense. What is the weakness of this defense? It's the pass rush. And so that's where I'm going. For me, it's Judon. Matthew Judon led the team with nine and a half sacks, led the team in sacks by a lot. Uh, I think he had four and a half more sacks than the next guy on the list. Was fourth in the team in tackles, had 18 tackles for loss, which is three times more than the next closest player on that team. So he was the one guy that we had that we needed to rush the passer, and he's done it. Uh, and, and he's filled a need that we had uh and we definitely aren't going to give him a big contract extension. And so we, we, he's either going to get franchised or will be gone. Um, but in maybe his last season as a Raven, he's getting my Defensive Player of the Year uh, award. And while I'm on a roll here, I'm going to say my last two. Because, Tim, you, you mentioned him for your Defensive Player of the Year. Chuck Clark is my most improved player. Uh, I think he had like 10 or 20 tackles last season, and now he's become one of the most one of the most important players on the defense. Well, uh, where's the green dot? It's funny you mentioned Chuck Clark. He was also my most improved player. <laughs> um, so we're right in the line. Same, pretty much the same reasons why uh, you just said and what Tim said, the, Tim's case for why he was defensive player of the year. Same thing. He just took such a leap this year for me. Um, that's why I picked him as my most improved. And uh, I'll just say rookie of the year, because there's not a ton of guys to, to do rookie of the year when it's just one franchise, but it's Hollywood. Uh, I'm obviously a big fan. I've been waxing poetic about him just because of his level based on other rookie receivers <laughs> and just receivers that the Ravens have had. And when I looked at his numbers, I was pleasantly surprised with his end-of-year stats. In 14 More touchdowns games, than you think. <laughs> seven touchdowns in 14 games, 580 receiving yards, and was second on the team in both catches and yards. So that's my, that's my rookie of the year. Yeah, real quickly, I mean... We don't have to reiterate the same points. Hollywood, and it's funny that you said your most improved player and your defensive player of the year because mine are reversed. I'm going to go Matt Judon, um, a guy who I've said multiple times I wasn't a fan of and hand up like the offensive line. He's proven me wrong in the best way possible. The nine and a half sacks up from seven last year, but became the guy he had to be. And And everything you said is part of the reason why I'm saying he's most improved. Also with that, we didn't see as many boneheaded plays from him, which was his Achilles heel, the roughing, the bad roughing the passers, the hitting the guys in the helmet. We saw it a little bit early, but it seemed to be cleaned up, and it hasn't happened in crucial moments. Uh, let's see later down the line, but I think this guy, he's kind of become one of those leaders on that defense that I talked about. So most improved for me is Matt Judon with Hollywood being the rookie. Yeah, just to wrap it up, Hollywood, my rookie. Uh, yes, as you said, second on the team in receptions, second in touchdowns. Uh, and missed a few games. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, I was very impressed with him. He, uh, I think as 
if he stays a little healthier, gets more and more, because, you know, he was kind of limited in the offseason, too, um, with some incoming foot injury from college. Um, but I think he should only, you know, theoretically get better and better. So uh, he's my rookie of the year as well. I look forward to seeing a little bit more from Jalen Ferguson and a little bit more from Miles Boykin of the other rookies. Let's see what uh, they can deliver in years two, three, and beyond. So those are our Ravens awards, our, our not-so-random Ravens, our, our standout Ravens. And now let's turn to the NFL matchups coming up this weekend. I don't know if I mentioned this. The Ravens don't play this weekend because they're <laughs> the number one seed, so they have a bye. But we're going to run through these games. We're going to look at the lines and agree and disagree on, on some of these picks and, and who we like moving out of wild card weekend. So let's start with the two AFC games. They're going to be on Saturday, both of them on Saturday. Buffalo will travel to Houston. Houston is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And then Tennessee travels to New England, where New England is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to go quickly here. Uh, I like Houston at home. Uh, I'm a, if Will, Will Fuller has to play, quite frankly, and Kenny Stills have to play, they're their number two and three receivers. They're a different team when those two guys aren't out there. If they have a healthy receiving core, I think Houston is just going to have too much offense for Buffalo. Uh, and I see Houston winning and covering that spread. The Tennessee-New England game, uh, I'm working with the spread here, so I'm going to pick the Tennessee Titans. I think this is going to be a very close game that's going to end up being a field goal. I watched New England just look terrible in that Miami game, and I don't believe that they can score more than 24 points. So if Tennessee can get into the 27-type 30 range... I think they could even win this game, and I, I think they're definitely going to cover that four and a half. Yeah, a couple things quickly on those two games. I'm with you dead on with Houston, uh, especially Will Fuller. He has to play for this, but I've got Houston minus two and a half as well. Um, Josh Allen in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that. That's, I'll just leave it at that uh, with the Buffalo Bills. Pains me to pick against them, but I'm doing that. And same <laughs> thing with Tennessee. Give me the points with Tennessee. I don't know who wins this game. I can see either team winning this game, but I think it's going to be close. Two other points on Tennessee. One, Brian Flores, a disciple of Bill Belichick, just whooped up on the Patriots. Or not whooped up, just beat the Patriots. If you're the (laughs) Dolphins and beat them in New England, it's a whoop it up. I'm just putting it that way. They beat them. Mike Vrabel, who obviously another New England um, legend, I should say, and now the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. He's going to know what to expect out of this New England team uh, when he goes up to Foxborough. And the one guy in this entire playoffs that you do not want to tackle in 20-degree weather is Derrick Henry. The guy is a machine, and I know the Patriots' defense is supposed to be great. I don't think they're going to be able to stop him. So I think that Tennessee is going to be able to control a little bit of the clock as well, which helps keep that game close. So I don't know who wins. So in that case, give me Tennessee in the four and a half. Yeah, the... um Henry did win the Russian title yesterday, had a 200-yard game uh, to steal it from Nick Chubb. Uh, um, and I'm definitely concerned about him. I, however, am rolling with the Patriots. I just Ryan Tannehill against Bill Belichick in Foxborough. I, did Fair. We, did, did the Pats just use, lose to the Dolphins? Yes. Am I still not counting out the Patriots? Correct. I just can't do it quite yet. I think they'll figure it out for at least one game. Um, And as much as I want to write the Patriots off, I just don't know that this Tennessee team, which I don't know if you're aware, has gone exactly nine and seven for four consecutive years. I don't know if they're the team 
to finally knock off the Pats uh, before, you know, the divisional round. Um, and then I actually took the Bills as the underdog at plus three. Um, I'm very concerned about Josh Allen, um, but uh, defense travels, as they say. And um, I just like their defense. And so I picked the Bills as the underdog. The Sunday games will be the NFC slate. Minnesota traveling to New Orleans, where New Orleans is an eight-point favorite. And then <laughs> Seattle traveling to the 9-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles, where Seattle is a two-point favorite on the road. Love Seattle against Philadelphia. They've been so medi- Philadelphia has been so mediocre all year. They have no weapons. They essentially stumbled into this division win. They get to play at home. That's great. This is another situation where I don't think Philadelphia can score more than 17 or 20 points in a tough playoff game. And, and, and I think we Seattle did, is going to take that. And we saw this game just a few weeks ago, and this, uh, the Eagles scored nine points. And um, I think are even more injured than they were in that game. Uh, I was, believe that was the Eagles' last loss. So I'm right there with you. I, this, uh, under three-point uh, favorite, I think you got to go with the Seahawks there. Because even though they've been iffy... Uh, they've been really good on the road this year, so got to go with the Seahawks, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think I'm, I'm probably a little higher on Philly than both of you. Just Philly at home, man. Carson Wentz is good. He's not the problem. Carson's awesome. He's, He's very, very good, and I think th- that fan base is rabid, as we know. <laughs> um, I think they'll be they'll be ready to bring it down on Wilson and, and Marshawn Lynch, who's back. A quick mention <laughs> for him. Um, but I, I'm still taking Seattle minus two. And then really quickly, because it's the game that we don't have to talk about the most. I talked about not trusting Josh Allen in the playoffs. <laughs> I really don't trust Kirk Cousins, especially going to New Orleans. New yeah. Orleans minus eight in the dome. I'll take it every day of the week and twice on this Sunday. New Orleans minus eight over Minnesota. I, I think they're going to murder the Vikings. And... Um, People pointed out, uh, like we mentioned earlier, 13-3, and three, so they're probably mad that they even have to play in this game. Um, just two years ago, Minneapolis Miracle, else the New Orleans Saints. A lot of guys from that team on this team probably still mad about that game. Uh, I just think the Saints are better. Vikings really backed into the playoffs. They did not win a game after they actually clinched the playoffs because their, uh, their bid was punched by the um, 49ers beating the Rams. So Vikings lost their last two. Now they didn't have anything to play for on Sunday. But I don't think they're playing great. That game against the Packers, they were abominable on offense. And I think the Saints probably even better. And it's it's in the Superdome. So, yeah, I think they're going to hammer them. So give me that minus eight. Yeah, you're talking about you not trusting Kirk Cousins in the playoffs. Vegas does not trust Kirk Cousins in the playoffs with that <laughs> eight-point spread. Uh, I'll do a little uh, – I'm going to take New Orleans. I think it's just way too much offense in the in that home environment. Over under 17 and a half references to the Minneapolis Miracle <laughs> during this game. Yeah. What, six per quarter, three per quarter. Yeah, anytime Stefan Diggs makes a catch, for sure, that's one. That's hey, one did reference. you know he caught the ball for the Minneapolis Miracle? And in that game. <laughs> so, little, uh, a little bit of variance in our picks, just Jace taking Buffalo as opposed to us, and then also taking, what was the other one? And the Patriots, I'm back, the, I, the I believe in the Pats. I, I think the Titans are really good, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win, but 
I think it's a little of a rush to try to bury the Patriots, probably, um, by people. And I just think that the Patriots are going to respond. <laughs> so with that, we will see you next week. We have one more thing to cover, and that's our random Ravens. So, Jace, why don't you run through the clues one more time? Alrighty. So our first clue is... This defensive back signed with the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of San Diego State in 2002. He played for the Ravens from 2002 to 2005, making 46 starts mostly at safety beside Ed Reed. Um, During his time in Baltimore, he picked off four passes in the regular season and added a pick in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans in 2003, which he returned for a touchdown. In a game, the Ravens unfortunately lost. Um, shout out Anthony Wright. Uh, four, he moved on to the Giants in 2006 and then spent his final two seasons with the Texans. And then our final clue, he's the only Raven to wear number 47 for multiple seasons. So uh, a quick anecdote, and then I'll turn to Tim because I think he knows who this player is. I was at that. Titans playoff game. It was extremely cold. I had extremely terrible seats. Uh, That was the Jamal Lewis 2,000-yard season, and we were feeling so good, and then he rushed for like 30 yards in that game, (laughs) and it was really sad and cold, and they lost. And did not know that this player was on that team, to be honest, uh, did not have no memories of him having an interception and doing anything with it, but sort of makes sense that those were back in the, the good old days of the defense having to score and hold to the other team to under yeah, a certain amount of points. I, I did not remember this play specifically. I was looking up what some possible uh, clues could be this afternoon um, and stumbled across this. Uh, the only thing I remember from that game is like them losing on a field goal by, I don't know, was it like Rob Baronis then? Someone had like the gun. It was very painful. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so I've see now I'm a little nervous because I haven't been very good at this game the last I don't know month and a half. I, I know the player and I'm like 99 percent sure I have the name right, but there's a little bit of doubt in the back of my head. And the only reason I think I know this is because he was going to be used by me in a couple because <laughs> I love defensive backs too apparently. This random raven is Will Demps. It is Will Demps. Hey! Really? There we go. Back on the board. 47. Yeah. Underrated number. Great yeah. job. Uh, for a the only back. other guy I could even vaguely remember uh, on the Ravens that wore it even briefly was uh, tight end Billy Batchema a few years ago. Wow. <laughs> um, so not a very uh, well-respected, uh, well-repped number for the Ravens. But uh, yeah, Will Demps, uh, you know, I... Again, I didn't remember him having a touchdown interception return in a playoff game, but I remember enjoying him a lot and, you know, playing next to Ed Reed as the starting safety for, for uh, strong safety for several years. Um, so, yeah, I'd been sitting on this one and I was like, oh, he'll be a good one to do. So, Will Demps. There's a random Raven for you. <laughs> Another undrafted guy. I think that's been like half of ours so far. The Ravens love their undrafted free agents. <laughs> Uh, making up a solid squad, really building up the secondary for a random Ravens <laughs> Deep secondary. Roster. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Let's wrap this up. Uh, we will see you next week to talk about, you know, who's going to play the Ravens in the next round of the playoffs. But we will be excited to come back. I won't scream for the intro to that game because there'll be no Ravens win to talk about, but we'll certainly be excited about uh, 
the preview of the Ravens' first playoff game as the number one seed. For Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera signing off. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.